This morning's passage from Acts 1 uh, is a sizable one. We won't be uh, tackling all of it. The ascension of Jesus uh, was preached just a few weeks ago when Matt Corey filled our pulpit on Ascension Sunday. So today we're going to kind of camp out in the, uh, the region of verses 12 through 26, the first major decision that the early church had to make. A farmer hired a man to work for him. He told him his first task would be to paint the barn and said it would take him about three days. But the hired man finished it in one. The farmer set him to cutting wood, telling him it would require about four days. And to the farmer's amazement, the hired man finished in a day and a half. The next task was to sort out a large pile of potatoes. He was to arrange them into three piles. Seed potatoes, food for the hogs, and potatoes that were good enough to sell. The farmer said it was a small job and it shouldn't take him very long at all. At the end of the day, he went to the barn and he found the hired man had barely started. Well, what's the trouble? What's going on here, he asked. To which the hired man replied, well, sir, I can work hard, but I can't make decisions. <laughs> Making decisions. For some, like the hired man, making decisions can be hugely difficult. And for others, it's not a problem, and still it really doesn't matter what your bent is. Decisions have to be made. Every day we live in a world where we'll have to make decisions. Some are big, some are small, some feel weighty, others we make with the same amount of thought we give to breathing. Every day we make decisions. And as we come to our scripture this morning, we find this is the issue confronting the disciples. They have a choice. They have a decision to make. And God's will must be discerned. Our Father, as we humble ourselves now under your word, we pray that you, by your spirit, would bring its meaning into our minds and into our hearts and into our lives with such force that it would actually make a difference. God, change us by your truth because we want to conform ourselves to how you want us to be. Bless us with ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God's will and how do you discern it? Not everyone who has to make a decision thinks in these terms, do they? In fact, most people, when they make decisions, aren't thinking at all about what God's will is, which makes this an additional consideration for those of us who call ourselves Christians when it comes to making choices. We don't just make our choices based on how we feel, on what we want, on what we believe is best or most prudent. No, we as Christ's followers, must consider the will of God. What does he want? What does he say is best? How does his word inform us in the matter? How will my choices reflect on him? How will my decision help or hinder his work in me. Jesus had chosen 12 disciples at the outset of his earthly ministry and 
three and a half years later, one of them, Judas, is no longer in the band. He was dead, having killed himself after betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver that he never got to enjoy. Judas remains for us a constant example, friend, not only of the deceit of riches, he thought he ought to have that money, but of the bait-and-switch nature of choosing sin. Sin always over-promises and under-delivers. It always does. It boasts of being able to provide great things that will lead us to freedom and to life. And when we indulge it, the consequences of sin are captivity and death. Brothers and sisters, sin leads to death. The Bible teaches that. And as the tragic end of Judas reminds us, sometimes it is even a literal death. So Judas is gone. And now there are 11 disciples. And as we heard from our scripture reading from Acts 1, there is some urgency to find a replacement for him. A choice has to be made. And it was important that the early church would get their first major decision together right. Particularly because this was an issue of leadership. This was an issue of authority. And while whoever it was that said everything rises and falls on leadership is guilty of an overstatement, it still is important, don't you think, to choose your leaders wisely. Because choices have consequences. Elections have consequences. The decisions that we make, whether seemingly great or small, all lead to some sort of outcome. Can't make a choice without an outcome, some sort of change. Which is honestly why a lot of people don't want to make decisions, right? Because you know it's gonna change something. Also, maybe the fact that choices have consequences speak to why some people shouldn't make them. <laughs> Choices have consequences. They have consequences in, in at least three directions, always for those who make them. Secondly, for those who will be affected by them. None of us lives in a vacuum. Everything we say, everything we do is bound to impact other people. So husbands, wives, children, coworkers, fellow students, church members, neighbors, citizens, whatnot. They're all gonna be affected one way or another by some of the choices that we make. And then of course, there's this other effect of our choices and that is on our relationship to God. Do our choices draw us closer to the Lord or do they move us away from him? Um, do they demonstrate that we value him above all things, which is what, what we are shooting for? Or do they expose that we actually wrestling now with some competing values or if you read the scripture you would you would could translate it idols our hearts an idol factory do our choices demonstrate then that we're worshiping god or that we're worshiping some other thing some idol so i want us to take note this morning of how the disciples tackled this first significant decision point in the early church how they discerned god's will in the replacement of judas and especially i want us to notice the context 
in which God's will is being discerned. If there is an overarching characteristic, and by the way, if you haven't seen it yet, there's some sort of fill-in-the-blank, I believe, in your bulletin this morning. Some, for some of you, that, that helps you to follow along. Um, if there is an overarching characteristic of the early church in its early days, it would be, to my mind, at least their devotion to prayer. It would be their devotion to prayer. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. King James Version says, continuing in, the insinuation is that of being earnest towards, of constantly adhering to the practice of prayer. So what we can say is that the members of the, of the very first church were prayerful, and they were prayer dependent, which is a wonderful way to be, which is something that we want to be here at United Baptist Church, prayerful and prayer dependent. That's why part of our vision statement is to be a praying church. We, we take our cues from the head, who is Jesus, and we pray to understand what Jesus wants. This early church was prayerful and prayer dependent. They were devoted to prayer. Second, we would note that prayer is not just the job of, at that time, the 11 leaders. There are some things that we as leaders do so you don't have to. Absolutely. But prayer isn't one of them. Prayer is everybody's job. Prayer is everybody's role. And we see in the same verse 14 that praying was something that everyone in the church is doing. So the context of discerning God's will for the early church included a multitude, a multitude of prayers. Uh, in verse 13, Luke names the remaining disciples of Jesus. In the next, he says, all these, all these disciples with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, all hands on deck. This is a congregation-wide undertaking. We are praying together. Third, we notice... The disciples relied on scripture to understand their circumstances. God's word was used both to interpret what they were experiencing, but also to guide them in what they were doing. And specifically here in this passage from Acts, Peter quotes from two different Psalms. He quotes from Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. Both of these are what are known as imprecatory Psalms. Imprecatory, anybody got a guess as to what that means? That's, that's, a, that's a $5 word. Imprecatory, meaning to invoke or call down curses on someone. So really, these are the kind of psalms that you read, at least I do, when you're reading through the psalms, you read these and you're, they make you uncomfortable. Like, like they're, Lord, smash his teeth out. And like, ah, gee, I, I don't know, I'm... I don't know about that. These are the, these are the put it to them, Lord, Psalms, right? Somebody has an enemy in mind, and, and, and the psalmist is calling out to God to, to pound that enemy, to decimate that enemy. So th those are the kind of psalms that make you squirm a little when you read them. But they're part of the Bible. It's part of God's truth. So Peter takes these accounts in two of these imprecatory psalms of men who had dealt traitorously with their earthly king and he applies them to Jesus, Judas who had betrayed the king of kings. So that's how that works. And why, why did he do this? In order that they might understand their circumstances in order that they might know how to move forward. Why did Judas die? Peter says the scripture had to be fulfilled. And what should happen next? Let another take his office. In his apostolic, 
uh, apostolic authority, Peter uses God's word to interpret what the early church is experiencing and to guide them in what they were doing. Friend, could, do you think that you could use scripture to explain to somebody what's going on in this world right now? Yes. You think you could? I think you could. A little, maybe it'd take a little bit of work, but do you know how powerful that might be? To use scripture to explain the circumstances? That's what's going on here. Fourthly, we see that when it came to make a, a decision and it was decision time, it too was pre prefaced by prayer. It was prefaced by, yes, they'd been praying all along. This was the general context of their life together. They were waiting. They were praying. But now it's time. We've got to get down here. We've got to make that decision. Those of you who, who, who have trouble making decisions, you hate this moment because you know it's coming. It's go time. And you got to say yes or you got to say no. And you might disappoint somebody. What is this going to be? That's where we're at. What do they do? They pray. Yes, we've been praying all along, but now we need to make a decision. Let's pray very specifically. Verse 24, and they prayed. And finally, we see in this passage that the early church disciples were determined to know and follow God's will. They were determined to know and follow God's will. Their heart's cry to God was right on. It is just what Jesus had taught them. It is just what Jesus had modeled for them. Think of Jesus' words. Uh, think of Jesus' willingness to drink the cup that was set before him. Think of Jesus' willingness to go to the cross and offer himself a sacrifice for the sins of all who would call upon him in faith for forgiveness. Think of how unappealing that was for Jesus, how hard that must have been. Father, all things are possible with you. If it is, if it is your will, let this cup Pass from me, nonetheless, your will be done. Jesus really wanted to know and follow the will of his Father, and these disciples want the same thing. They want to do what God wants them to do. More than anything, the early believers are determined to know and follow the Lord's will. And look at the humility in verse 24, if you have your Bible open. You, Lord, know the hearts of all. There's a bit of a confession there. Lord, you know. We're seeking some wisdom, and you know the hearts of, of all. And there's a bit of an implication there, right? That we don't. That's humility, and that's a good place to be. You have noticed this. You probably, you, if you're reading through the Old Testament, you know uh, this occurred in the selection of David as the king uh, of Israel, that man has a tendency to look on what? On the outside, right? Man has a tendency to look on the outside, and we do that often, and we do that when we're choosing leaders, when, when we're choosing who we will follow, but God, where does God look? What does the Bible say? God looks on the heart. So here again, we're at that place, Lord, you know the hearts of all. And so the early church turns to God who they know sees what they cannot see. Let that comfort you, beloved. The Lord sees what you cannot see. That is good news. We, we, we get upset or concerned sometimes because we can't see the end of a thing. But the Lord sees. And so they appeal to him and they submit themselves to him that he should lead them in the decision that they're about to make. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Show which one you have chosen. God has already made the choice. You see that? 
And their job is simply to affirm it. God has already made the way, and their job is to walk in it. And so they willingly subject their wills and their thoughts to his will, to his thoughts, because they know that God knows what is best. That's the context that we find in our passage today for the early church discerning God's will. Now, we toss that term around, discerning, like we all understand what it means, but let's make sure that we do. What does it mean for a believer to discern? What is discernment? Jerry, Jeremy Pierre is a, uh, an author, a, a counselor, and a teacher, and he says discernment means distinguishing between what is pleasing and displeasing to the Lord in your present situation based on what you know of him from scripture. Discernment means distinguishing between what's pleasing and displeasing to the Lord in your present situation based on what you know of him from scripture. So at various times in our life in this world, we have to choose a course. And the criteria that we are to use is the consideration of what is pleasing and what is displeasing to Jesus. Have you ever thought about your choices that way? What is pleasing or what is displeasing to Jesus? And sometimes the way to go and, and how to do that is not readily apparent, right? Spurgeon defined discernment as not choosing between right and wrong, but in choosing between right and almost right. That's why we need discernment, because almost right looks pretty good, but it might not be right. Disciples need to discern the will of God. It isn't always easy to do that. That's why Ephesians 5.10 says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We are commanded in Scripture, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we all know that we see through a glass darkly, so it's difficult. Our passage for today describes how and why the early church did this, how the church responded when its members had a choice to make, when they wanted to discern and do God's will. And as Christ's followers, I am going to sort of lump us all in the same, same boat here. I'm going to assume that we would want, if we were there, and even now that we are here, we want the same thing, right? That is, we want to follow and obey Jesus. Are we good with that, church? Are we good with that? That in general, yes, yes, always we want to follow and obey Jesus because that's what it means to be a disciple, right? Jesus, Jesus didn't say, if you want to be my disciple, be the best version of yourself and I'll catch up with you when I can. <laughs> no, he, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross, and you have to follow me. This is what it means to be a disciple. It is to follow. It, it, it makes no sense for, to, to, for one to call himself or herself a disciple of Jesus if there's no desire to follow Jesus. And this is what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower and a learner. And, 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 and by the way, when we learn, we aren't just learning to know. We're learning to obey. Okay? 
We're not learning about Jesus, so we'll have lots of knowledge about Jesus. You recognize that Satan has lots of knowledge about Jesus, right? Doesn't make any difference in his life. No. We learn not to know. That's only part of it, but in order to obey. When Jesus gave the Great Commission to the church, which is a Great Commission to us, what did he tell us to do? Go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what? To obey. Teaching them to obey. So this is what disciples do. They follow Jesus and they're eager to learn from Jesus so they might do what Jesus wants them to do. To obey. Jesus says that. Obey all that I command. So like the earliest of Christians, you and I should want to discern God's will. You agree with that? We want to discern God's will. Now granted, Whatever's confronting us, whatever decisions we have to make, whatever choices are looming out there, probably not as weighty, we might say, as choosing an apostle. But that doesn't mean that what we have to do, that our choices are insignificant. Because again, all of our choices have consequences. So it is definitely worthwhile to try to choose wisely. And so to help you with choosing wisely, I want to offer five quick questions. These are not exhaustive questions. These are probably not the best questions, but hopefully five questions to help evaluate if your approach to decision-making lines up with the approach of the early church that we just walked through. So ask these questions when you come to a decision point in your life, when you come to a crossroads, when something has, you have to choose a course. Number one, do I pray as a matter of course or only when I need something? Don't, don't answer that out loud. Just entertain the idea that do I pray, you know, the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, right? Do I pray constantly and consistently? Am I in touch with the Lord? Am I listening to Him? And am I pouring my heart out to Him on a regular basis? Is that how I live my life? Or do I just consult Him when I'm going off the rails, when I need something really, really big, or when I want his blessing. Now, if it's the latter, I don't want you to, to be, feel beat up today, but that's not the position uh, of, of wisdom that you want to be functioning out of. You want to be prayed up. You want to be in the, in the habit of prayer Number two, do I make choices with the help of others or on my own? And some people like this, they're like, well, no, I'm pretty independent. And I'm like, well, that make you pretty unbiblical. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. We belong to each other. We're members of each other. We were built for each other. God designed us to be together in community and, and to rely on each other. And there's no shame in needing each other. This is how it's supposed to be. But a lot of times we do, don't we? We strike right out and we make a decision all by ourselves. Listen. That is, that is human nature at the core. Do you, you, you who've raised children have experienced this. You watch your little one struggle, and you so want to help them, and they look at you defiantly and say, I do it all by self. <laughs> like, no, that's not how life is going to work, but go ahead. <laughs> Learn. 
you might as well learn. Do I make choices with the help of others or do I make them on my own? Do I ask people to pray for me? I hope you know the, the power, the privilege of prayer and being prayed for and praying for others and the reciprocity there that at different times you're the prayer warrior and at other times you need to call on those warriors and that God is working on behalf as you all pray with and for each other. Do I ask people to pray with me? Listen, if you're making a decision and it's of the nature that you can't ask somebody to pray with you about it, the answer is no. I mean, just think about it. If you can't enlist somebody of faith to pray with you about it, do I look to Scripture to understand my circumstances and to guide my steps? That assumes, of course, that we have a familiarity with God's Word, which we're all striving to get better at. We all want to know God's Word more. And the beauty of God's Word, I love this. It's the deeper you go, the longer you study it, the more there is. And the, the better you see, but the more you realize, you get older, you just start thinking, now I, now I have a sense of what I don't know. But God's word is so deep and so rich. Do I, do I know it and do I look to it to understand my circumstances? Does the Bible inform me about why I'm where I'm at or what I'm going through or what I should do next? It absolutely has the wisdom, friend, that you are looking for. Number four, do I pray before deciding? So not only do I have a sort of a lifestyle of prayer, but before I actually make that decision, do I give it another round of prayer? Am I consulting God? And here's the real kicker, I think, number five. Do I really want to know and do God's will? Because... <laughs> There's always that, what do they call it? Plausible deniability. <laughs> if you can say, I didn't know God didn't want me to do that. <laughs> what did you ask him? No. Why? Because I had a feeling that he didn't want, I mean, <laughs> do I really want to know? And do I really want to do God's will? Now I want to drive this home from a different angle this morning, um, just to make sure you, you get the gist of it. I want you to think about a choice you have made a decision that you made that did not turn out well. Some of you, maybe you're going to struggle to, to, to get, have something like this in mind. Lord bless you. It's not a struggle for me. Um, and I think most of us can think at some point in our life of some decision that we made, something that we did, that just didn't turn out well. And I want you to have that in mind, and I want to revisit these considerations. And I want, I want you to honestly evaluate if the outcome might have been different if you'd first run that choice through these filters. If you had run that choice through these filters. Now, you have that silly thing that you, you did or that sad thing that you chose to do in mind. Did you make that choice from a lifestyle of consistent prayer? Were you prayed up? Did you make that choice in accord with an abundance of counselors? Or did you do it on your own? Did you look to the Bible for guidance or principles? Did you specifically pray before moving ahead? And were you interested in that moment to glorify God with your choice 
That is, did you have his will in mind or were you pleasing someone else? In his commentary, Exalting Jesus in Acts, author Tony Morita gives some helpful advice. He says, we should approach every decision by weighing how each choice will either enhance or hinder gospel advancement. We should approach every decision by weighing how each choice will either enhance or hinder gospel advancement. So we might think to ourselves, maybe even today as you sit here, you're sort of perched at a place where, okay, I do have to make some choices. Maybe you even have some serious, significant things in your life. So let's be basic, start here. What is God's will when it comes to that choice that's in front of you? What is God's will? Please think about what God's will is. And I can ask it a little bit of a different way. Again, this is the discernment piece. What does it look like to please Jesus in this choice that I have to make? Because if you would just back up a little bit, beloved, and not take this life at the pace that it seems to be shoved down our throats and think that we exist for the very purpose of glorifying God, that we were made by Him and for Him, if you will just back up and remember that, then, then it's not so unnatural to ask these questions and we're not going to be so inclined to live our lives as we so often do, which is one reaction after another. This, then that, then this, then that, then this, then that. Slow down, back up. What is God's will for me? What will it look like for me to please my Savior? in this particular arena of life. When we do this, what we're saying is that God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, and his kingdom, these are our primary considerations. And I think it will take us some practice to get here, don't you? Most of us are naturally in the habit of making choices. They're quick today. Bring them in. service. <laughs> Listen, United Baptist Church never really been a well-oiled machine, okay? <laughs> We're okay with that. And I, 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 I am wrapping up, and it's, this, I, told, I told Ben when to, <laughs> when to let him know. He did it exactly, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. In conclusion, <laughs> it's probably safe to say that most of us quite naturally um, are in the habit of making choices and decisions based on what we want. We start with ourselves, we start with our desires, we feel our pressures, so on. And then at some point maybe we, we look to fit Jesus in there somehow 
on the edge or on the side. But if we are approaching our decisions by weighing how each will either enhance or hinder the gospel, if we are approaching our decisions based on what is going to please Jesus, we are starting with him. And we are orienting our lives around him. And that's what he wants of us. To orient our lives around him. Around his will. To want more than anything to do what pleases him. To fit everything around him. So again, to make it practical, should you date such and such a person, will it enhance or hinder gospel advancement? Should you take this new job that is offered to you, will it enhance or hinder gospel advancement? Should you get your child a phone no. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating how music and rhymes have a way of sticking in our minds, so I can hardly think of God's will without hearing a chorus. It was kind of more famous around the time that I was growing up. It was made famous by Amy Grant many years ago. She said, the Lord has a will. And I have a need to follow that will, to humbly be still, to rest in it, nest in it, fully be blessed in it, following my Father's will. The Lord bless you as you set about the work of discerning and following his will for your life. Let's sing together.